Jesus, we, uh, we rejoice, God, in what you've done and in how you have uh, taken us through the storms of life. And Lord, brought us to this place this day, God, and I pray every single one of us would never leave here the same. God, I pray that there would be a, a difference in our life, God. I pray you would pour out your Holy Spirit. Let gifts of the Spirit just rule in this place, God. Let us each be blessed by each other's gifts in the Spirit, Lord. Lord, some of us in here are gifted in mercy. And I pray that that would flow out in our conversations. And some in here are gifted in exhorting. And Lord, some are gifted in helping out and serving. And some of us are gifted in teaching. And Lord God, there's so many wonderful ways that you could use each and every person in here, each and every leader in here. And Lord, we, we don't want to lose sight of that, that this is not a church with just a name, white flag, Calvary. God, this is, this is a church is your people. Lord, we should not say, I'm going to go to church, but I'm going to go be with the church. God, it's so great to be the church. So great, great to bring my church and my six kids and my wife and get with the bigger church here, Lord. And I just pray that you would bring powerful ministry into our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's message is called Stay in the Boat. Stay in the boat. And our, our main text that we're going to look at is in Acts 27, but uh, the one verse I want us to actually put your finger there in Acts 27 and then turn over to the right couple pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. And that says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed. Day by day. That outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Losing heart is a very big problem. It's a major problem. Giving up, tiring out, getting distracted and doubtful in your life. Losing the will to go on, losing heart. I think of Frodo marching up the the sides of Mount Doom at the end of the Lord of the Rings. Samwise even tried to convince him not to give up before he, well, I'm not going to spoil the ending for you. But let's just say we would all be living under the rule of some dark lord or something if we didn't finish the movie. And what makes Rocky such an inspirational figure in movies? You guys seen Rocky? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but you know the story, right? Sylvester Stallone with the, with the muscles and the boxing and the sweat and the can't understand what he's saying. He never gives up. He's so inspirational as you watch those because his determination and his dedication, his heart. Listen to this quote from Rocky as he speaks to his son about the trials of life. He says, let me tell you something you know already. I cannot do the accent, so just picture me. Let me tell you. I don't know. Never mind. Let me tell you something you know already. This world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. I don't care how tough you are. It'll beat you to your knees and it'll keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. 
So there's a man that knew how to not lose heart. No matter how many times he was punched in the face, he just came back for more. So are you telling me that I need to be as driven as Rocky Balboa in order to succeed in the Christian life? Is it all about my, my gumption? Is it all about my desire to win? Or maybe I just need to stop boxing guys that are four times my size and need to wise up a little bit. You know, they'll probably keep making these Rocky movies till I don't know, what are we on, eight, nine now? And uh, it seems like they always have the, the, it's always build, you know, Rocky's greatest challenge comes up, you know. I think maybe uh, if they had an IQ test involved, that might be true. But <laughs> as you're looking at Acts chapter 27, we see a story about some guys who had an issue with losing heart. And I think you'll be under, under I think you'll be able to understand why they lost heart, and I think you'll be able to relate. So we're going to read Acts 27, and we're going to see an amazing story. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So, entering a ship of the Admiratium, uh, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go with his friends and receive care. And we had, um, we had, when we had put to sea, from there we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly for many days and arrived with, with difficulty off Snidus, the wind was not permitting us to proceed. We sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmoni, passing, passing it with difficulty, and we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because, of, because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening towards the southwest and the northwest, and winter there. When the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a, tempest, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. Euroclidon. So, when the ship was caught, we could not head into the wind. We let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when, it, and when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly 
tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope we would be saved was finally given up. But after, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. And, have not, and should not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong, whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, then the fourteenth night had come, and as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And so they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little bit further, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors up from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from, your, from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And, when, and then they were all encouraged, and they took food for themselves. And in all, there were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Then they shipwrecked on Malta. So, in this chapter, we read that a storm comes upon Paul. It was called the Eurocleidon, or I don't know any idea how to pronounce that, but that sounds good to me. And it was, it was a, a wind that was feared among ancient sailors for its destructive power. The sailors on, on board knew that they were in, clearly in for a bad time as soon as this wind started to blow from that direction. And that shows us that storms are coming in this life. We can see some of them coming, and others are totally a surprise. And so have you been through a storm where you couldn't even eat for a week or two? Can you think back to a time in your life when your stress level or your, your trouble in your heart just made eating food just not appealing to you? I can. I can think of that time in my life. And here it says that they got to this place where all hope was finally given up, right? So is that a good place or a bad place to be? When all hope is clearly given up, the world will tell us, well, that's a bad place. But it is a good place if you're convinced that there's no way to save yourself, 
then maybe you can come to the point where you can look to Jesus to save you. Man, the trials of this life, the storms, they have a real way of forcing us to lose hope. Just when you think everything is finally on track in your life, bam, someone dies. Or the boss calls you in and he's got that pink slip. Or your relationship just starts to crumble. And we can't escape from these storms. We can't run away from them. They just come into our lives. Well, there's always ways we can try to run away from them, aren't there? We can try to deaden the pain through various medical reasons or ways or abuses. But the storm is always right there when you come back, isn't it? These choices to run away from the storm never help us. And I don't remember seeing Rocky run away from any fights. Do you? Or you can be all mad like the captain and Captain Dan. Remember Captain Dan? Forrest Gump? You know, he was all mad in the storm. He was up on top on the crow's nest and he's yelling at God. Because isn't God the one letting us go through these storms? Is he the one that's to blame for these trials? It's a thought that we all have. So it's really good for us to think about this. But I want us this, this morning to look at how this story in this chapter teaches us about God's purposes for storms and trials and also provides us with some amazing insights into the whole predestination and free will conundrum that has been a challenge for the church for 2,000 years. For, 2000, for more than that, people have been arguing and discussing, did God choose you or did you choose God? And here at Calvary, if you've read our statement of faith, we say both. And people are like, well, how can you defend that? And the Bible says so. Okay. Well, we believe one side. Great. We believe the other side. Great. We believe both. They, they both are true. But this story, I think, is going to teach us maybe a way that we can focus our minds and focus our thoughts when it comes to this issue and as it relates to trials and storms in our life and where we can actually have victory when we think about this. So I want to first look at the promise or the predestination. Okay? Back in this chapter 27, verse 22, he says, Now I urge you to take heart. Take heart for there will be no loss of life among you. There's the promise. There's the predestined decision of God that they would be saved. There will be no loss of life among you. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong, to whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, second part of the promise, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Every one of the 276 guys that are on this boat is going to be saved. That's God's decision. Therefore, again, he says, take heart. Take heart. See, God's decision, God's beforehand decision that there would be no loss of life causes us to take heart. See, he has decided that there will be salvation. That is his sovereign decision that he is going to save people. And twice Paul declares that the promise of God should cause them to take heart, not lose heart. So we can take heart when we remember God's promises to us 
in the storms. One promise that we have is that there will be storms. So we shouldn't be surprised by them. But all the other promises we're going to see in a couple minutes. And look, it says, the way we could take heart, like Paul, was to believe. Paul says, I can take heart because I believe God. That what he said is going to be true. So there's a link between you guys and the storms in your life and you being able to take heart in those storms and take heart because you know that they are decided by God and they're brought into your life by God. There's a link between that and believing the word of God. Oh, my life is tossed around by all these waves and I I have a great day this day and then something happens and it's a terrible day this day. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because of belief in the Word of God. You either believe the Word of God or you don't. If you actually believe the Word of God, then these storms are going to start to not be like this, but they're going to start to be more like this. You're going to be constant. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, it says, It is good for the heart to be established by grace, not to be carried about, tossed about by these various winds of doctrine, but to just understand that the Word of God talks about grace. Our name of White Flag Calvary speaks of this. That's how we got the name. Who, what do you think of when you think of White Flag? Yes, you all got it. I was successful in my thinking of what I should name the church. Okay? It is so hard to name a church, you guys. Oh, my goodness. It was a conundrum of epic proportions. I Don't ever try to do it. Because you think, oh, well, what's the most important thing in my ministry for me is grace, okay? I'm learning about grace, and so I want it to be Jesus Grace Church. Well, that sounds lame. And there's like 8,000 churches in Denver that are called Grace. We meet on one on Wednesday nights. Grace United Methodist. And so... Grace was kind of like out, okay, So because I want to be a little different, because I'm a little different. Um, and so I, d- I didn't want to sound like everyone else, which is fine, okay? I'm an individual. So grace, I'm, um, surrender is the next word I came to because I'm thinking, how do we interact with grace? Well, to interact with grace, you have to humble yourself and stop trying to do things on your own. And so, in other words, stop trying to resist God or trying to please God by all your actions. And so you sur- instead you surrender and say, God, I can't do this Christian life anymore. Please help me. Please do this for me. Please fill me with your spirit. And he does. And so that act of surrender is how we interact with grace. And so that is going to be the heart of our ministry. That's our vision. That's the whole deal is grace and surrender and so we are going to be white flag Calvary so that people think of that immediately. White flag. So this church isn't about trying super hard. The church is just about surrendering. Well, surrendering isn't that bad when you're surrendering to someone who loves you. Usually I think of surrendering and it's like Braveheart where they're going to kill you anyway. But no, you, when you surrender to someone that loves you and says, I'll give you everything if you just give up, then it's a good thing. So, little vignettes on the name of our church and why it relates to this. So, the link between the benefits of the promise and the heart of the person is belief. See, it's great that God's sovereign and God's chosen to bless you and God's chosen to save you, but the link between that and your heart is belief. In other words, your heart isn't going to ever feel better 
unless you believe what God says in his word. Believe and interact with it by surrendering. Just believe. Just believe. Now let's look real quick at the other half, the free will aspect. So did God choose? Yes. God has wonderful choices and they, they're going to bless you and blow your mind and bless your heart. But look in verse 27. Now when the 14th night had come, we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea. At about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near to some land. And they took soundings, found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found 15 fathoms. Then, fearing lest, any sh- that lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern. And they prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they had let down their skiff into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors to the prow. So what are they doing? They're trying to take their life into their own hands. Instead of surrendering, they're trying to take their life into their own hands. And what happens? Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Unless the sol- and then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall. So God had previously said that they would be saved. So how is this now possible? And we know the end of the story. Did God's sovereign promise come true that they would be saved, all 276 of them? Yes, it did. Did these men have free will or choice to be saved? Yes, they did. But Paul says, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. So the link between God's choice to save them and their own choice to live or die seems to be related to staying in the boat. Stay in the boat. And their decision to stay in the boat. So this creates an interesting picture for us, especially when we consider the boat as a picture of Jesus Christ. See, these sailors needed to stay in Christ in order to be saved. Which actually makes a lot of sense when you consider the phrase and how it's used in the Bible in Christ. These men were chosen, yet they had free will. And I don't understand it, but I can believe it because I'm in the boat too. I'm in this boat too. So we're going to look at a few verses right now. And if you have a pen, this is the best time to take notes because I'm going to go through quite a few verses. They're going to show you and give you a biblical picture of what the Bible says it means to be in Christ which in the, in the context of our story is in the boat. And we're going to find out why these sailors decided, yeah, I'm going to stay on the boat. I'm going to stay on this boat. 2 Timothy 2.10. He says, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ with eternal glory. So salvation is in the boat. All right? 1 Peter 5.14 Greet one another with a kiss of love and peace be to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Or in the boat. So peace. Salvation is in the boat. Peace is in the boat. Romans 3.24 Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Well, in the boat there's redemption. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in 
Christ Jesus our Lord. So eternal life. Romans 8.39, neither height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ, in the boat. There's love. 2 Corinthians 2.14, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. In the boat, you are being led in triumph. 2 Corinthians 3.14 But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in the boat, in Christ. A veil is taken away. In other words, you can see clearly, clear vision. Check this out, 2 Corinthians 11.3 But I fear lest somehow... As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted by the simplicity that is in the boat, in Christ. In Christ, there's simplicity. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And they raised us and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he may show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we can sit with Jesus in heavenly places and all of his grace and his kindness is in Christ Jesus. All of it. So then we go to Ephesians 4.32 and be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is in the boat too. And then 1 Timothy 1.14 and the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Jesus Christ. All of grace, all is faith, and all of love, not just a little bit, but exceedingly abundant is in the boat. Exceedingly abundant amounts of grace and faith and love are available to us in the boat. So in Christ, in the boat, we have salvation, peace, redemption, eternal life, God's love, always triumph, a veil taken away, simplicity, sitting in heavenly places, eternity of grace, forgiveness, and grace, faith, and, and love without measure. So if all these things are found in Jesus, then why do we spend so much time looking for them in other places? Why do we spend our... <laughs> our time doing anything else except just hanging out with him in the boat. Why on earth would we do that? If all these things are found in the boat, why would anyone want to jump out of the boat? I think that's a better question. Then did God choose you or do you have a free will? How about, why do you want to get out of the boat? What are you thinking? You just don't understand how good Jesus is. You don't understand how good it is in the boat. Aha, but this is where I, but I got you, Pastor. I got you. Because you forgot about the raging storm. That's not too fun on the boat. But I'll say to you, just stay in the boat. Did God choose for me to go through this awful trial? Just stay in the boat. Remember, Jesus, when he was sleeping on the boat... And there was a raging storm and it was scaring his disciples. 
just stay on the boat. But it feels like I'm perishing in this life. Just stay on the boat. But I'm tired or sick or sick and tired of this storm. And the food here is, and probably all my shipmates are driving me crazy and nuts in here. Just stay on the boat. Just stay on the boat. Well, what's the purpose of this storm then? Why do I have to, uh, okay, I'll stay on the boat. But what's the purpose of this storm? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Thanks. There is something happening to you as you stay in the boat. There's something crazy happening to you as you stay on the boat. I want you to remember the first text that I read, 2 Corinthians 4.16. I'm going to, I'll show it to you again. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You see, there's work being done on the boat of Jesus. Jesus is working on the inward man. He's renewing it day by day. The inward man, the heart, the broken inside that we can hide from everybody except him. There's work being done on you. He's mending the nets of your heart while he's sitting there on the boat. Even if it looks like he's sleeping, he's not. God doesn't sleep. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, in where? In Christ, in the boat. In the boat. If any man is in the boat, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So how complete is this work that Jesus is doing in our lives? Well, he says here, all things will become new. He is doing a complete work of changing your heart. And he's using these storms to do it. Galatians 6.15 says, For in the boat, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. That's what matters, okay? That he's making new. It doesn't matter how hard you tried or the things you've done or while you're in the boat, there's nothing you can actually do to help yourself. The storms are going to come and you can't yell at them like Captain Dan saying, ah, go away, storms. That doesn't work. But just allowing him to create you new in your heart, that does work. He does work. He does love creating in us. So that circumcision and uncircumcision just means the things that people did outwardly to try to help them look good in, in God's eyes. They thought that that made them right somehow. But this renewal has nothing to do with what you do to please him. It just happens to anyone who stays on the boat. Anyone who decides, I'm just going to abide with Jesus. But you're a crack addict. I know. I'm just going to abide with Jesus. But you should do some stuff to fix that. I've tried. I'm telling you, I have tried. I'm just going to abide with Jesus. And that person will be made new. God will answer that. He will renew that person. Ephesians 
says, for we are his workmanship. Even though if I was making myself, I would make myself a lot cooler. Probably bigger and stronger. Most definitely more muscles. But I'm not my own workmanship. I am his workmanship. And what to say? Created in the boat for good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God knew that the storm would come into your life and my life. And he actually chose it for you. But I don't like this difficulty. I wish I could really do without these storms, God. Can I just skid along like I did in high school? Just putting half effort in? Well, I'm sorry, but we don't get to choose what God has chosen to be our life. See, that's that predestination part that we have to believe in. That God chose your life to look like how it does. But through this time, all this time in the boat, if we're with him, if we're in his boat, through all the storms that come upon us, he is making us new. That's also his sovereign choice. His sovereign choice is here's some storms, and his other sovereign choice is if you just stay in the boat, I will make you new. You will never fail. You will never fall. I will save you. You will be saved. Guaranteed. It's my choice to save you in the boat. That's why he's doing all this work in us. It says here in this verse, he's created us in that boat for good works. For good works to be seen. And whose good works are seen when you're just hanging out with him in the boat and all of a sudden you're new. God's good works are seen. Not our good works. Were you remaking yourself as you hung out in the boat? No. God did that. That's the design. That's the plan. It's that God does all the work and we abide in the boat. Staying in the boat worked out pretty good for these sailors, didn't it? It worked out good. It worked out good for another guy that you know. How about Noah? You remember him? He had a little bit of an interaction with the boat. God called and said, hey, Noah, I got a boat for you. I have salvation waiting right here for you, Noah. So get all the animals, two by two. You guys have seen Evan Almighty. Get in the boat, Noah. Noah gets him in. And I want to read to you Genesis 7:16. You should probably turn there. It should probably be highlighted in your Bible, Genesis 7:16, because it's amazing. It's a miracle, and you may have passed it by. I mean, it's a miracle that God flooded the earth, and it's a miracle that God created the earth, and it's a miracle that God spoke to Noah, and it's a miracle that Noah got drunk after. I mean, there's a lot of miracles in the Bible, in the story of Noah. But this miracle can often go unseen. Look at 7.16 in Genesis, chapter 7, verse 16. It says, So these that entered, male and female, were all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And then it says, look, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. That means there was a door on the boat and God shut the door. Somehow God 
reached his hand down from heaven and slapped that door shut. What? That's just, I bet that was amazing for Noah to see. And Noah and his family were shut in. And I bet they were like, well, okay then. I guess there's no going back from this decision. Now, I suppose if they really wanted to, they could have climbed up and God told them, you can make a window in your boat. And I, I suppose they could have climbed up, peeked through that window, and climbed out and jumped out and said, I don't want to be in this boat, and died. I suppose they could have done that. But the question isn't, could they have done that? It's, why would they want to do that? They had everything they needed, and God had shut them in, so his desire was for them to stay in the boat. Stay. Just relax. Hang out for a year. I'm going to just, you just eat the chickens that I had you bring for food and hang out. Let me remake you. Let me make you new. Let me work in you. So, they were sealed in. They didn't have to seal themselves in. God did it for them. So there's a few verses that, that link to this in our life. And when we talk about we're in the boats and can I get out of the boats and all these questions, I want you to see that you're sealed in. And could you climb out? I don't know, maybe. But you don't want to. Why do you want to? Do you want to climb out of the boat? No, you don't. Second Corinthians one twenty two says, who also, he, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So just like Noah was sealed in, God sealed us with his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, in whom you also believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Why do you think God is using this word sealed all the time? Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve that Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. So do we focus on God choosing us? You can. I don't think you should. Do you focus on us choosing on our own choices? You can. But I don't really think you should. How about instead we focus on just trusting him? Believe how he saved you. How he put you in the boat. Believe that he sealed you by his Holy Spirit. He shut you in the boat. And then trust that he is remaking you every day in that boat while the storms beat upon you. He is remaking you. But I would say this. I hope you're in the right boat. Because Jonah was not in the right boat. Jonah made a huge mistake. He got in the wrong boat. His boat was not going towards God's will. His boat was fleeing away from God's will. If you've never read the book of Jonah, dude, go read the book of Jonah. It's awesome. He's fleeing God's will. And so he gets on his own boat. And what happens? Well, a storm comes. And the captain of that boat and all the sailors and Jonah says, yeah, I'm running from the Lord. And they're like, okay, well, what do we do? And Jonah's like, 
I guess, I don't know. And they're just, well, I'll throw you overboard. So he gets thrown overboard, and you guys know the rest of the story. Gets eaten by a fish and puked up and blah, whatever. But he got thrown off the boat, expelled off the boat. Man, I'm glad that doesn't happen on my boat. I'm so glad that I'm on the right boat. But I don't know if all of you are on the right boat. Are you guys on the same boat with me? I hope so. Are you on the boat that desires the Lord's will? That desires to please the Lord? That, that is letting him remake you? Are you on that boat? Or are you running from the Lord? Are you running from his salvation? Is it because there's something in your life you just don't want to give up? Or there's some reason you can't get around to just believe that God loves you and believe that his way is better than your way. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But maybe you don't even know if you're on a boat. Maybe you've been drifting so long in your life and you're in just a skiff, they called it. Just this round thing that's out there and you're not going a direction at all you're just floating well jesus is calling you get in my boat right now here's here's a rope and i'll i'll pull you up i'll pick you up and put you in my boat if you just ask me i'm not going to force you i'm not going to say get in my boat you know they do that in uh in life training school right who's been in life lifeguard school like where you I don't know. I haven't. But, oh, there you go, Sandra. They teach you, if, if someone's really panicking and struggling, you punch them in the, and you knock them out. I'm glad that has never happened to me. But that's not how Jesus works. Jesus isn't going to punch you in the face and force you to get on his boat and believe that he is your Savior. He'll offer it. He'll call into your life. He'll make you so uncomfortable that you have to make a decision one way or the other but he's never going to punch you in the face. Which I'm glad. I like that about Jesus. He's a gentleman. But he calls to you now to get on his boat. To get on, and then for all you believers in here, don't get off. Don't get off. If there's a storm in your life, abide harder with Jesus. Don't try harder. Abide harder. That means humble yourself and trust. Hang out with him. Spend time in the word. Pray. Gather your friends to pray around with you when you're in a trial, when you're in a storm. There's 276 other people on your boat. It's really interesting. You know how many, there's traditional thoughts and ideas about how many languages were originally at the Tower of Babel. And I think one of those ideas was that there was 276 And I think you may see that number 276 in other places in the scripture when it's talking about the whole world and encompassing the whole world. It might be 153 as well, but anyway. um, It's really interesting. And then the last thing here was at the end of that chapter, what did they do on the boat? I love this. Paul, he cared about them. They were on the boat. and He's like, bro, bros, come. And feast with me. Eat with me. And what did Paul do? He had communion right there on the boat. Did it say the storm stopped? No, it didn't. The storm is still raging. 
And in all their craziness, and maybe this is you, maybe in all your craziness, I don't even have this in my notes, this is straight, straight to Jesus, okay? Maybe in all your craziness, you have forgotten where your nourishment comes from. And you have been lacking in your spending time with the Lord in communion. What is communion? Remembering the things he's done for you. Remembering the foundations of your relationship. Just interacting with Jesus on his body and his blood. And remembering his sacrifice for you and his covenant with you. That he loves you. All of that is where your nourishment comes from. Maybe your trial has been so hard. And I get it. It's been hard. Maybe it's been so hard you've forgotten that. You've forgotten the communion. And we need a pastor like Pastor Paul to come in and say, Bros, sisses, come have communion with me. Let's remember Jesus. But there's a storm going on. I don't care. Here's some soggy bread. And I don't even know where he had the wine, but he hid it, hid it somewhere. He pulled it out. And he, they had communion. They had communion. Oh, and then those, those guys were so encouraged. So encouraged. And they went through a shipwreck and they had all kinds of stuff in front of them. But for the sake of our time, happily ever after is the end of the story. They remembered what it was all about. And they ab- abided, they abode with Jesus. It was so good. It's so good. So, did God choose you? Sure. Did you choose God? Sure. I love being able to say that. Because my mind is not bothered anymore. I went through years of being bothered. And maybe you have too. Which one is it? Oh, just got to know. And I feel like I come to the same place Paul does. When Paul spends two chapters talking about the great mystery of God's sovereignty versus our choice and free will, in Romans 10, 11, 12, he, he gets to the point, at the end of his discussion, he says, you know what, just thanks and praise be to God who has unsearchable wisdom. Because I can't figure it out. This true, that's true, sure. But God is great. There's no reason for us to get out of the boat Just stay in the boat. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and sing a song. Jesus, we are very, Lord, in love with you. Lord, we we know that you're doing great, great things in our church. And we're excited about that, Lord. But we're much more excited to know you and to know, God, that you are doing a renewal process in our hearts, God. And God, we love you for that. And Lord, we want to stay on that boat. And right now, if there's anyone that has never decided to get on the boat, and you think that today is the day that you want to get on the boat, then just stand up and, and we'll pray with you right now. It's not a weird thing. It's not a hard thing. Jesus says, I'm calling out to you. If you want my help, call back to me. Call upon me. And I'll answer you. And we will always give you this opportunity in church. Here at White Flag Calvary. We'll always give you this opportunity. But I pray it's today. Today is the day when you can cry out to him. 
So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.